from Washington, D.C., across the nation and around the world. Stand by for an overview of the hottest topics and people being discussed on air, online, at the coffee shop and across the backyard fence. Powered by the research of Talkers Magazine, the national conversation, it's time for the Michael Harrison Wrap. Here's Michael Harrison. Thank you, Victoria Jones. Monday, June 13th through Friday, June 17th, 2022. It's Juneteenth weekend in America, and it's been a week of floods, heat, war, politics, and a big interest hike to calm down runaway inflation. And it's been a week in which Dr. Fauci, as well as yours truly, contracted COVID after avoiding it for the past couple of years. Get ready for a powerful hour of Black Belt Talk Radio, during which your tolerance for hearing different but legitimate points of view will be tested. We've got lefties, we've got righties, and we've got fence-sitters. Please don't get angry. Just listen closely and while doing so, maintain a degree of educated skepticism, regardless of whether or not you agree. We'll be joined by Kevin Casey at Talkers with a countdown of the 10 biggest topics of the week. Paul Gleiser in Tyler, Texas on the economy. Joe Thomas in Charlottesville, Virginia on the evolution of radio. Matthew B. Harrison in Springfield, Massachusetts on the latest activities of Elon Musk. Todd Feinberg in Hartford, Connecticut on the televised January 6th committee hearings. And Dr. Dahlia Wax in Las Vegas, Nevada on the latest COVID-19 developments. Influential yappers from across the country with microphones, smartphones, and digital recording devices sharing their observations and the feelings of their target constituents with whom they do a daily dance of affirmation in a fragmented, noisy world where we try to avoid the modern-day syndrome of seeking victory at the expense of truth. Welcome to the Michael Harrison Wrap, heard coast-to-coast and around the world on great radio stations across the U.S. and the U.K. The past week's hottest political and social topics discussed in the American talk media. Information is gathered from a variety of sources, including data tracked by the broadcasting trade publication Talkers Magazine, of which I'm editor and publisher. This week's program is being sponsored in part by the classic rock group Gunhill Road, in which I'm a member. Check out our YouTube hit that supports animal welfare at IKnowYouAreReal.com. Okay, here we go. Joining us now is Kevin Casey, executive editor of Talkers Magazine. Kevin, give us a rundown of the 10 most talked about stories on talk shows in America this past week. Thank you, Michael. At number 10, the annual Talk Media Convention. It's an annual gathering that's been taking place for 25 years. Talkers 2022, the longest running and most important national convention in the talk show business, was held last Friday at Hofstra University on Long Island, and broadcasters have been buzzing about it for days. Almost 300 talk radio and cable TV broadcasters from both sides of the microphone gathered to discuss a wide variety of topics of importance to the industry. Speakers included such stars as Sean Hannity, Bill O'Reilly, Brian Kilmeade, Joe Paggs, Buck Sexton, Mike Gallagher, Rob Schmidt, Dom Giordano, Harry Hurley, Frank Morano, Mandy Connell, Larry Young, Jeff Katz, Bill Brady, Lee Habib, Dr. Asa Andrew, Dr. Dahlia Wax, Derek Hunter, Mark Edge, and many, many more who met to discuss journalistic ethics and integrity, podcasting, new technology, ratings methodology, the generational divide, and an array of issues, some existential, facing the industry. The result was a wave of conversation about talk shows on talk shows that swept the nation for several days. At number nine, a heat wave, floods, and 
climate change. Once again, the weather was in the news. Floods in the West include a big one at Yellowstone National Park, and a devastating heat wave hit the heartland, killing thousands of cattle in Kansas. And as to be expected, such extremes in weather are invariably accompanied by conversations by the political extremes on both sides of the climate debate issue. At number eight, social media and big tech. Elon Musk remains in the news. This week, he triggered a buzz in the biz by holding an all-hands-on-deck meeting of the employees at Twitter, outlining his plans for free speech on the platform if and when he acquires a controlling interest in the company. Obviously, it appears he still intends to go through with the deal. The enigmatic billionaire also revealed whom he would vote for in the 2024 presidential election. And it's neither a Democrat nor Donald Trump. At number seven, a tie between race relations and immigration. This is Juneteenth weekend, the second annual commemoration of the important date in American civil rights history as an official federal holiday. Although it's been celebrated in one way or another since 1865, Juneteenth, short for June. 19th is sometimes referred to as Emancipation Day. It commemorates the day when federal troops arrived in Galveston, Texas in 1865 to inform and ensure that enslaved black people were finally freed following the end of the Civil War. At number six, crime and violence tied with gun control. Sparked by outrage over the mass murders and gun violence that have become commonplace in America, the first bipartisan agreement on gun safety measures in years has been taking shape on Capitol Hill. Meantime, Republicans and Democrats are busily spinning its scope and implications to satisfy the sensitive political and often opposite expectations of their bases on this extremely polarized issue. At number five, a tie between the Russia-Ukraine war and U.S. foreign affairs. Ukraine's bid to join the EU is gaining traction after the bloc's leadership indicated it believes the country should be formally considered for candidate status in the wake of the Russian invasion. Meanwhile, the brutal Russian onslaught continues. Conditions in the devastated Russian-occupied Ukraine city of Maripol are now described as medieval. According to Ukrainian officials, water supply is only available in 2 to 3% of the city's households. People wash their clothes in puddles on the streets, and the risk of diseases such as dysentery and cholera are rising day by day. At number four, COVID-19. Several members of the talker's staff and a number of its attendees contracted COVID-19 at the talk show convention on Long Island this past weekend, including Michael Harrison. Fortunately, all reported cases have displayed relatively mild symptoms. Even Dr. Anthony Fauci came down with the virus this past week. If Fauci can get COVID, then I guess anyone can still come down with it. And we're certainly not yet out of the woods. Regardless, it's obvious. People want to get on with their lives and are willing to take far more risks than ever before during this pandemic that keeps springing new contagious variants on us. At number three, the January 6th committee hearings. The televised hearings gathered a significant audience as the House Select Committee investigating the Capitol insurrection focused on how former President Donald Trump tried to pressure his vice president, Mike Pence, to join in his alleged plan to overturn the presidential election and how Pence's refusal put his life in danger as rioters called for his hanging on January 6, 2021. Democrats say the committee's findings are closing in on an indictment against the former president. Republicans say it's a one-sided partisan TV show and that most of the American public has already moved on. At number two, partisan politics and the primaries. 
as the Republican primaries rumble on, with this past week's races taking place in South Carolina, Nevada, North Dakota, and Maine, analysts are focused on how well or poorly Trump-endorsed candidates are faring. The results thus far are mixed. Interestingly, reports indicate that in some races, the Democrats are pulling for what they consider to be the more extreme right-wing Republicans to win their party's nominations based on the bet that they'll be easier to beat in the general elections come November. Be careful what you wish for. And at number one this week, the economy and the national mood. The big story this week centers around the Federal Reserve upping interest rates by a whopping three quarters of a percent in an effort to cool down the overheated economy that's been driving inflation. It has already triggered a meltdown of the stock market, cryptocurrency market, and a cooling in the wildly hot real estate market. Inflation has risen at a rate unseen since the early 80s, causing pain and fear for citizens trying to keep up with the soaring prices of gasoline, food, housing, and day-to-day retail products. And joblessness stats are again on the rise. No wonder the national mood is in the toilet. Thank you, Kevin Casey from Talkers Magazine. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. Let's dive right into the interview segment of the show. The economy was by far the most talked about topic on Talkers Magazine's research of news talk media outlets, such as the great radio station you're listening to right now. And the economy covers a wide number of subtopics, the most compelling of which is inflation. Joining us is a unique individual. He owns and operates KTBB, a very successful talk station in Tyler, Texas, and he hosts a show on that station. His name is Paul Gleiser. Well, Paul Gleiser, you are um, a businessman, you're a radio station owner, and you're a radio personality. So I'd imagine you have, well, basically different angles on the Fed raising the interest rates uh, more than they've done in over two decades. What does it mean to you, first of all, as the owner of a, of a radio station? Uh, what were your thoughts when you heard they were doing this? Well, as the owner of this radio station, not a lot because I am not deeply in debt and the the increase in interest rates is not going to have any sort of a material impact on me. However, radio in general, the raising of interest rates is is a scary prospect because you know the big companies, the big publicly traded companies, we all know we talk about it are drowning in debt. And I promise you their rates are going to adjust and they are going to be making larger interest payments when they are struggling to make the interest payments they're already making. So it does not have the end of free money, which we have enjoyed for a long time, does not bode well for the business. What about business in general, uh, in terms of when you're on the air, and, and and I know your primary business is running and owning a business, but you also have uh, quite a reputation for being the talk show host. And uh, not only that, you're often a guest and you're often filling in for others. So um, from the broader picture of um, business across the board and the general economy, as it ties into inflation and other aspects of um, of everybody's economic situation, what do you think this means? Well, that's certainly, I think it means that we're going to see a change in the uh, in the business that's tied to housing. You know, you, the housing market has been so hot, and so much that has the the revenue that we do here, that you hear on on the air on radio stations, has something or another to do with owning a house. 
Um, home ownership is being made more expensive. I think the 30-year fixed is now above 6%, and we haven't seen that in. I can't remember the last time we saw that. So uh, that means it's going to cost you more money to borrow for, uh, say you want to take a home equity loan to, um, to improve your home. On top of already higher prices for everything that might go into a home, and I think it might it might affect the uh, the entire swath of business that is driven by home ownership. I think could we could feel some effects. How's how's the economy in your neck of the woods um, in in uh, your area of Texas in general? The cost of gasoline, are people how are people feeling? Are there moods you know down in the dumps? People scared? What's what's the temperature there? Well, if you can if you can hear me knocking, knock wood. You know, we're still in a pretty good mood. Business is still good, and most of the clients I'm talking to are still fairly upbeat. You know, uh, I'm I may be talking out. <clears throat> pardon me, I may be talking out of both sides of my mouth here. I have a very very good advertiser who builds very very expensive uh, swimming pools for very high end homes, and she is booked solid. So um, things generally do well here as of right now. I can't see staying that hot indefinitely if the cost of funds goes up, the cost of fuel keeps going up, the cost of food keeps going up, the cost of you know commodities that you, that you need to run your business all keep going up. I think somewhere in here we're going to feel a pinch. There's no question about it. It's just a matter of when and how long. Um, do you have any predictions? Um, and and do you have any political angle on this? What, what, what? How do you think? Um, well, first of all, how do you think it'll play out? Of course, you don't have a crystal ball. I'm just looking at your gut. And secondly, um, what do you think the political implications of this are? Do you think that um, people are going to blame Biden and the Democrats are going to go down, or do you think that uh, there's more at play here when uh, people go to vote, especially as we uh, get past the midterms and we head toward the presidential election? Well, don't please don't make me uh, prognosticate past the midterms because mm -hmm. I just I, I that, that that's looking too far into the future. But I will say that I think the Democrats are going to get shellacked. Uh, the the Democrats I think are spending all of their time trying to distract us from the things that are really causing people to worry. They're worried about how much it costs to fill up their car. They're worried about how much it costs them to go to the grocery store. They're worried about, you know, just the, the, the cost of daily living. And they're not all that jacked up about January 6th. And the Democrats are wanting to uh, keep talking about January 6th. I think what happened here, Michael, I think the real root of our problem is the, we dumped $1.9 trillion in cash into the economy and there was no concurrent increase in productivity and that is that is by its very nature inflationary and the infl and and the inflation has caught up with us and it's going to take quite a while to work through that massive infusion of cash that did not did not result in any increase in economic activity. That's Paul Gleiser, who's a talk show host and the owner of a nationally respected radio station in Tyler, Texas, KTBB. Coming up next, a visit to a Charlottesville, Virginia morning show that had me on as a guest last week, right before the Talkers Convention. As a dedicated radio fan, I think you'll find it interesting. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap.
One of the great bands of the golden age of album rock, Gun Hill Road, has been around for more than 50 years. The members of Gun Hill Road are Steve Goldrich, Paul Reich, Glenn Leopold, Brian Coonan, and yours truly, Michael Harrison. I wrote the lyrics to a song on our new album, What Year Is This? It's titled, I Know You're Real. It's about the relationship between human beings and our friends in the animal kingdom. I know you're real, I know you're real I understand that you're real Please take a moment to write down the following web address to see the music video of this inspirational song that contains some wonderful animal images that'll rock your heart and soothe your soul. Here's the address, write it down. I know you are real.com. That's I know you are real.com. If you love animals, you'll feel real good after seeing this video. I know you are real. Continuing now with the Michael Harrison rap. As we mentioned earlier, the annual Talkers Convention, a tradition in the talk radio industry for the past 25 years, in which hundreds of folks in the business on the air and behind the scenes, took place this past Friday on the campus of Hofstra University on Long Island. One of the invited speakers was Joe Thomas, who is the longtime morning host and program director of WCHV in Charlottesville, Virginia. A few days before the conference, he had me as a guest on his show to talk about the business. Here is that conversation. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. Good morning. When I go out, yeah, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who goes along with you. Hey, in the surveillance state, you never know if I can actually see you through the smartphone app you're listening on right now, right? I'm going to take a little moment here, and this may sound like a, a, an abstract, but I know how much you like this program and what we do, but in, in also as a larger picture, you love talk radio. You, you consume it quite a bit, um, and it's a publication that you can read. It is technically an industry trade uh, paper, but it's a publication about talk radio. It's called Talkers Magazine, and you get it online at talkers.com. You can read all the great stuff that Michael Harrison, the publisher, puts together. Uh, he's done me the great honor of asking me to serve on a panel uh, at their annual conference coming up on Friday in uh, New York. Uh, but, uh, you know, like me, uh, a longtime rock and roll DJ has become a talk radio maven, uh, and he's on the newsmakers line with us. Uh, Mr. Harrison, welcome back. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing fine, Mr. Thomas. Uh, when you said good morning uh, under that great song, I actually for a second thought that you were looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, uh, And then you said that. It's amazing. Good know, morning. <laughs> well, I, I know a lot of people who turn their radios around when they're getting changed and things like that. And it's the old uh, yeah. Gary Owens. No, we really can't see you. Um, but uh, so... Uh, Talk radio went through a really challenging and is still going through a very challenging period right now, Michael, uh, post-rush, I guess PR is what we would call this uh, period. Um, and, and and I think we're sorting it out, uh, but, but it really has made all of the rest of us, you know, dust up our A-game a little bit more. What is, what is your feeling as somebody who writes about all of the different ones of us uh, doing what we do? Well, I think that uh, the post-Rush era is uh, one of opportunity. I mean, Rush Limbaugh was a wonderful talent and uh, 
uh, iconic, uh, legendary, uh, generational uh, radio personality, and uh, somebody who really is part of the first 100 years of radio. But I don't think that Rush Limbaugh defined talk radio. Um, I mean, rock and roll continued after the Beatles and after Elvis. Uh, you know, he's one of the colorful, historical figures that uh, the, the field builds itself on. And I think that uh, in the post-Rush era, um, a lot of uh, young talent are having an opportunity to thrive. I think that the uh, the time period that he covered is now being divided up by local hosts as well as different nationally syndicated ones. And the world is changing so rapidly that uh, there's no time to dwell on the past. You know, we've got historic roots in this business, but we've got to deal with what's coming, you know, in the front windshield, not the, not the rearview mirror. So uh, I think it's a time of opportunity. I think we're living in a crazy um, time. And, uh, you know, I've been around the track a number of times, as have you. And I've never seen anything quite as uh, disorienting and dizzying as we're living through right now. Troubling in many ways, dangerous, um, but again, full of uh, potential. So I guess it makes it dramatic and it makes it interesting, wouldn't you, you say? Yes, you know, stay tuned as the uh, slogan is uh, still being used. Michael uh, Michael Harrison, publisher of Talkers Magazine, uh, with the conference coming up, I think you were the first person I ever heard use the phrase "the spoken word format." Um, mm. And in and, and radio is it's my life, and I'm glad to see that she still thrives through all of the d- different new media that comes along. And you've always had a great portion of your conference about new media and podcasting and and other ways to distribute. Uh, conversation and to have conversation, uh, and it has democratized voices uh, that hadn't necessarily had a platform before, but yet radio still goes along. Is it just because we're good at seeing new ideas and incorporating them into what we do? Well, radio, uh, commercial, uh, professional, even public radio, big-time radio is like big-time sports. You can have uh, all over the country baseball fields on, on every street corner at every school. Uh, you can have basketball courts, you know, on, on lots and cities. You can have people playing all over the place in, in games, uh, community theater. But there's still Broadway, and there's still Yankee Stadium, and, and there's the big-time. And for the radio industry to survive through this uh, democratization, as you put it, of the media, where everybody can do a show from their home, on their computer. It's just got to be big time. It's got to be organized. It has to be funded. It has to be uh, very, very selective in terms of who and what gets on those platforms. And um, there'll always be a hierarchy, no matter how democratized any field is, whether it's literature, whether it's movie making or the aforementioned sports. So, So the key to radio surviving is to do it better than anybody else. And that means audio media, primarily, shows that you listen to, supplemented by all of the wonderful, available, accessible technology, such as podcasting, such as streaming, and such as, believe it or not, video. Mm -hmm. Uh, Radio can do video without becoming 
television because if radio depends too much on video and doesn't do it tastefully and as a secondary element, an expansionary element, it'll go from doing great radio to cheesy television. And that's something to avoid. Uh, now, now my boss is going to hear that and say, yeah, Joe, remember I put that camera in your studio so you could start a YouTube channel. Now that's going to rehash all that again. Now I'm going to have to have meetings, Michael. Um, <laughs> so sorry that you asked me. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm looking forward again, always great, thoughtful conference uh, discussions, the technology that you, you bring out in the conference as well. Um, computer based, but, you know, electronic technology that you know, makes it possible for us to do all this. But but at the end of the day, uh, when you gather all these different people, and, and we're not all politically one way or another, uh, this year, I think, unlike others, we're actually in a place where if we're ignoring how much everyone's groceries and gasoline are going up in price, uh, I don't care where, what angle you're coming from. You, you have to be aware and, and touching on and trying to help out. Uh, in that way at some point. Is this an interesting time for that kind of commonality amongst different talk radio hosts, spoken word hosts? A very interesting, very interesting question. Um, one of the things that Talkers is known for, both in terms of our conferences and our publication and everything else we do, is that we at Talkers are nonpartisan. Uh, uh, news talk radio today is heavily weighted toward the conservative point of view, and I'm often asked by people outside the business, uh, you're a conservative publication, aren't you? Go, no, 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 we're not a conservative publication. It happens that the field we cover right now is dominated by conservatives. We are a free speech publication, and we believe in the business of broadcasting. We believe in the business of broadcasting as a uh, vehicle that um, operates under the auspices of the First Amendment of the Constitution. Mm -hmm of the United States. And that's and that's all it is. So what happens at the talkers conferences, and this is a remarkable thing that observers comment on right away, is they're surprised to see talk show hosts and broadcasters who on the air sound like they're millions of miles apart ideologically actually have camaraderie between them because the, the attitude there is we are here as broadcasters. We are not here as a political party or a political yeah. debate. So it's not about politics. It's about the commonality of broadcasting, the commonality of the First Amendment, and the commonality of keeping radio a vital tool, a vital medium, a vital venue in American life. Well, And, and to be of service to the listener. I mean, is, yes. if, if, if any thoughts doesn't start there, it, you're failing uh, to do this. Well, Michael, it's an honor. I look forward to seeing you at the end of this week. Um, at Tonkers, and I hope I don't disappoint you on the panel. We're going to be talking about maintaining ethics uh, in this era, so uh, no pressure on me, right? And, <laughs> well, that comes to you naturally, Joe. That's why you're on the panel. I don't think you should have any problem figuring out how to be ethical. Just be yourself. That's, that comes with the package. Yeah, believe me, that's the easiest programming philosophy I've ever had. Is, uh, just, just do what you would do, and you don't have to worry about creating a character. That's Joe Thomas, the morning talk show host and station program director at WCHV Charlottesville, Virginia. The conversation you just heard was Joe interviewing me last week on his show several days before we all gathered at Talkers 2022 on Long Island. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison Wrap.
Speaking of media, social media and big tech are always in the news, and this past week has not proven to be different. I turn now to a man who's always on the premises when we produce the Michael Harrison rap. Here's the program's executive producer. He's also a media law professor and the associate publisher of Talkers, the other Harrison, Matthew B. Uh, I got to tell you, Matthew, it never ceases to surprise me how Elon Musk, week after week after week, is on the talker survey, either on the most talked about people or the most talked about stories or both. And he usually has two or three stories going on two or three tracks at the same time. In, in many ways, he reminds me of Donald Trump always being in the news, always being talked about in the media, always um, attracting interest because of um, uh, the outrageousness of his personality and, in some cases, the um, audacity of his actions. And, and so I guess uh, from that standpoint, there is uh, somewhat of a similarity between Elon Musk and, uh, and Donald Trump. Yeah, people either love him or don't. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, there's a certain polarizing aspect to it. I think Trump is more of a polarizer than Musk because of he's running for politics, uh, whereas Musk still seems to be sort of a, a figure of, of curiosity. And um, he's famous for having done some pretty cool things, but he's also um, famous for being famous. And uh, that's a whole strange uh, phenomenon unto itself. So it's going to be very interesting to follow the adventures of Elon Musk in the coming days, weeks, months, and years. No doubt. One of the things that um, made it to our survey this week was the whole Twitter thing, where he had some type of an all-hands-on-deck meeting with uh, the staff of, of Twitter. What have you heard about that? Does it uh, indicate that maybe he's going to go ahead and buy the company, that he's already gotten to that point? Yes, uh, they're, they're obviously taking the deal seriously if they're giving him the forum to talk to all the employees. Uh, he did say that he has no intention of being the CEO or being that hands-on to the day-to-day -day operations. However, he did uh, allude to some plans for content moderation, which uh, involve being very uh, loose when it comes to uh, regulation and uh, basically allowing people to say outrageous things uh, under the law. So he did say, he used that terminology from what I understand, outrageous. It's okay for people to say outrageous things under the law. And, and, and what else? He said something about the left and the right. I'm not quite sure what he said. Yeah. He, while he wants to increase the number of users uh, fivefold, uh, he ultimately suggests that there's going to be fringe on both the extreme right and the extreme left, um, about 10%. And that means they're doing their job. Well, I guess when he becomes the head of Twitter and uh, he is the um, the person who judges what's outrageous and under the law or not, he'll find that um, he's going to get a lot of negative feedback from one side or the other because nobody can agree on that right now when it comes to big tech. But that's, not, that's neither here nor there. What I'm interested in is what reaction did he get from the employees at Twitter? Because he just came off of a whole brouhaha with the employees of Tesla. And, and, and they're not happy with him at all. At least a lot of them are not happy. Um, did you pick up on any information about how the, uh, it went down among the, uh, the Twitter employees? Uh, the Twitter employees are not happy. They believe that uh, the layoffs are, are forthcoming. Um, Musk said during the uh, meeting that uh, he reminded everyone that Twitter is, in fact, not profitable and that until they can fix that, 
perhaps there will be some cuts with employees. Well, that always happens. I mean, it, it usually happens when a new boss takes over, whether it's a, a, a billionaire like, like Musk or a, a billion-dollar corporation. They always say, don't worry, don't worry, nobody's going to get fired, everything's going to be the same. And then, of course, slowly but surely, that's forgotten, and uh, people do get fired, so there's a reason people get upset. Um, how about uh, Musk the Kingmaker? Yeah, he tweeted earlier this week that he is uh, throwing his presidential support for the 2024 election to Ron DeSantis of Florida. That doesn't surprise me whatsoever. And I'm sure that got under the skin of Donald Trump, who, you know, even though he I'm personally assured he wants to be president. Um, obviously, it's not a shoe in. And um, Musk is tweaking Trump's nose with that. Um, how DeSantis react? DeSantis tweeted that he's focused on 2022, the midterm elections, but uh, he is considering a bid for the White House. Um, but when it comes to Elon Musk, he welcomes support from African-Americans. For those who don't know, Musk is from Pretoria, South Africa. That's our program's executive producer, the associate publisher of Talkers and a law professor, Matthew B. Harrison. Coming up next... A look at the January 6th televised hearings with Todd Feinberg. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. This report is brought to you by Genesis 2 Project, D2P. Recently, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the ODNI, released a preliminary report on possible threats posed by UFOs, now known as Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, UAP, and the progress the Department of Defense, UAP Task Force, has made in understanding any threats. Dr. J.C. Van Velkenberg is a former Los Alamos National Lab biophysicist who has been working with G2P to bring scientifically sound UAP data to the public. G2P has released the first scientifically authenticated documentation of UAPs, including images captured with infrared technology. Primo Forensics performed the digital forensic analysis. In tandem with the ODNI report, these data support the development of relevant processes, policies, technologies, and training for the U.S. military and government personnel upon encountering UAP. Visit Genesis2Project.com. Continuing now with the Michael Harrison Wrap as we discuss the hottest topics of the past week in the national conversation. The other big buzz conversation of the week with the economy on talk shows has been the January 6th committee televised hearings. Joining us now is the afternoon host heard daily on our Hartford, Connecticut affiliate, WTIC, Todd Feinberg. I'm getting an education here. This is what I love about politics. I don't take it personally, politics. I just love the intellectual exercise of studying power and seeing how it works. So as this investigation is being aired on TV, I realize it's not an investigation. It is a television show that's being produced by the Democrats with their Hollywood buddies that is showing one side and it's highly produced, people with scripts and edited tape and TV show-like, not like a Senate hearing, if you think back to Watergate, how they were they were all the senators lined up, taking turns, asking questions, uh, collecting evidence. And I was highly impacted 
in fact, we can go back, uh, uh, I guess, three weeks now, a little more, to the Uvalde shooting. And Chris Murphy, the U.S. senator from Connecticut, went to the floor of the Senate and, and gave a speech instantly in which he, with incredible passion and sounding like he was crying, admonished his fellow senators for their failure to have passed for for decades and certainly since Sandy Hook any new gun laws. And he said, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you here? <laughs> he, as if he was this moral authority in the U.S. Senate. And he was trying to straighten them out. And he did speak with a lot of power and legitimate emotional connection because he had been the congressman from Sandy Hook. So he'd been through this with the families, and I'm sure he was highly impacted by that. Nevertheless, I looked at it and said, this is a TV show. And I started looking, and I found this wonderful tape of Chris Murphy talking after the Sandy Hook shootings with the opposite position. Wow. He insisted, yeah, it's amazing. He insisted nine years ago that there was no law you could pass that would impact in any way what would happen if some crazy person wanted to pick up a gun. Right. He said, my fellow congressmen think you can pass a law you cannot. Well, if he so if, he he might yeah, be in, he might be indicative of uh, the changing political times, or he's just indicative of politicians that flip flop. But one thing is for sure, he is indicative of the power of television to be able to craft and formulate uh, impassioned pleas, emotion, and um, performances that may not necessarily be authentic. I mean, I think you're right on the money there. Do you think with uh, with uh, Murphy that, that it's um, uh, that he actually sees it differently today or that he's just um, swept up in the partisanship of the times? I would say there's no way to know, but given the partisanship of the times and given that we're seeing the same thing in my mind with this TV show the Democrats are putting on, where there is no chance for any other voice to come forward except about how bad Donald Trump is. I'm not saying Donald Trump isn't guilty of the things or some of the things that they've done. I think they've, they've got reasonable fact patterns there to make us suspicious, as we should be of all centers of power in my mind. But I'm suspicious back at the Democrats because this is a one-sided hearing, and I watched them spend five years from the day Trump famously came down the escalator in Trump Tower to announce his candidacy. They started a machine of media destruction that ran for his entire presidency. So I just don't view these stories in the media now as legitimately as I did a few weeks ago and a, and a few months ago. I'm just continuously coming to realize that what you said about the motivation they feel, they see the opportunity to become national stars. As a matter of fact, when, um, when Chris Murphy did this, Senator Murphy from Connecticut, I, I thought about an old movie that Alan Alda did called The Seduction of Joe Tynan. Did uh, you ever see that one? A long time ago, and it basically dealt with this type of thing, didn't it? Exactly. It was about a senator who saw that he was going to be a national TV focal, focal point in a Senate hearing, and he decided to seize the moment. At least, I mean, this is 40 years ago, but that's my recollection of the movie, mm -hmm. that he used it as an opportunity to become a national figure and enhance his power. And, and that's what I felt Chris Murphy was doing. 
And that's what I think this whole – I think we're now all under the spell of a manipulated media that sees the big win as the easiest win, whatever the big story is. If the Democrats are pushing this thing, let's hop on and, and pretend that this is the story. Because I passed this tape around of Chris Murphy doing his nine years ago flip-flop, and nobody had any interest in it. And I watched them, like on The View, they had him on, and they did this emotional thing with sound effects and everything, uh, enhancing his his present-day speech about how there was nothing else you could consider except passing gun laws. And nobody played the tape of him from nine years ago saying gun laws can't change anything. Well, nine years ago may as well have been 900 years ago. I mean, nine minutes ago can seem uh, in the media world as as already obsolete. But all of that aside, and, and your points are completely well taken, um, as a citizen who is... Uh, basically reluctant to buy into any politician, but a talk show host who has basically been supportive of Trump, at least to the point of defending him against that media onslaught that the Democrats mm-hmm. started immediately. Do you have concerns about his role in January 6? I do, yes. I, I do have concerns. But uh, my point is I have those concerns across the board, and I can't trust the TV show. So that requires, and I don't think anybody should trust because what they're trying to do is overwhelm us with a, uh, you know, a huge tide of, of data that simply fills up all the space for information. Television but, yeah, is amazing. I have my concerns, but that's not my biggest concern. My biggest concern is that there's no way for the average citizen to have any idea what's going on. Because unless they just happen to be born incredibly skeptical. That's Todd Feinberg of our Hartford, Connecticut affiliate WTIC. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. Well, the pandemic remains a major topic of concern in our daily lives. Even Dr. Fauci came down with it. Many of us who attended the Talkers Conference last Friday came down with COVID, including yours truly. I'm glad to say I'm recovering quickly. Joining us is one of America's most respected physicians and a radio talk show host heard daily on the Genesis Communications Network, Dr. Dahlia Wax. I had this conversation on Wednesday. I'm recording this introduction on Thursday, and I'm already feeling much better. Well, Dr. Dahlia Wax, I got to see you for the first time in a year. Every every year we see each other at the Talkers Conference. And uh, several people at the conference came down with COVID, including me. I'm glad to hear that you're okay. You're back in Las Vegas. Um, I um, tested positive shortly after the event, and uh, I'm now on the mend. But, um, you know, it's funny. I've been talking about this thing for so long. And now, actually having experienced it, it puts it into a somewhat different uh, perspective. Uh, but, mm-hmm. but you're okay, huh? Oh, I feel I feel great, but I'm very frustrated that we've had so many variants of COVID in the year 2022. And I had gotten COVID right after New Year's, and it was the Omicron variant, the BA1. And that was painful, especially since I was vaccinated. Then... There was the BA2, the the baby, the son of Omicron. Mm-hmm. Then we had the grandbaby, Omicron, the BA2.121. And the current strains that are going on right now is the BA4 and the BA5. And this is all within a five-and-a-half-month period. And I find that very frustrating because, 
you know, look at how, you know, a lot of people got COVID in January, then they got COVID again when the, when the subvariant came. And to think that people are getting it again now in the heat of the summer, we've never seen this many variants and subvariants in so short a time that it's starting to make me wonder if we are receding in terms of our COVID progress. We might be doing a fantastic job not being hospitalized and not um, dying of COVID like we did in 2020, but why do we have so many variants and why are so many people getting sick in the summer when we just got through Omicron and the subvariant of Omicron? Well, the feeling that I have, the way I feel is um, like a terrible, terrible flu. Um, I, uh, and I feel a little better today. I think I'm in day two. Um, the first day when I, I went you know, to the doctor in, in the parking lot, they tested me. First, I took the home test. The home test said I was uh, negative, didn't believe it. Um, and uh, my wife also, uh, Bernadette, um, also the same thing. Home test said no. Um, but yep. we had all the, all the symptoms, so called the doctor. Next day, went to the doctor and had the doctor test. You know, the, more, more of, I guess it's a more reliable test. And um, came out positive. And they, um, they put us on uh, Paxlovid, which is a uh, medicine that I want to talk to you about in a moment. But that seems to be the current rage, especially for people over 55 years old or over 65 years old. Um, the reason I know it's the rage is that everybody that I know in the radio business who has ever had it or, or has it, who heard I was stricken, you've got to take Paxlovid, like, like they're in on some kind of a secret. So I guess, I guess it's the current, uh, the current drug, but, um, chills, um, uh, feverish dreams the first night, sort of like, you know, weird things go through your head, lucid dreams, all kinds of strange, bizarre things, uh, tremendous fatigue and uh, I have a dry cough um, mm-hmm. and Bernadette has a, a wet <laughs> chest congestion and that's the only difference and that's it and uh, so it's like it's like a terrible flu now you said that you were pain- that what you had back in January was very painful what what did you experience well by painful for me is that a horrible headache I had horrible body aches and this film and by painful also figuratively there was a film that covered the back of my throat and I filled up with so much goop in my nostrils and in my lungs Mm -hmm. that it was you know difficult to breathe and it was uh it was was not a very easy I felt better after five six days but it was not fun and despite being vaccinated I had you know told everybody look this is not something you want to get and I also told them that our hope for natural immunity um started to wane and that having Omicron when I had it in January, for me to then get a mild case in April, you would have thought that I would have gotten some sort of immunity between the vaccines, be, you know, between having it in January, and I still felt ill in April. I tested negative, but I, I, I'm glad you brought up that point of how these home tests many times are negative, and then you need to go to the medical provider and get a PCR test. So I think a lot of individuals test, they go, oh, I'm good, I'm in the clear, it's just a summer cold, and then all of a sudden they're actually positive for it. 
So we've, we, you know, it's the summertime. People are traveling. When I was on a plane, you could hear people sneezing and coughing. Oh, gosh. And, you know, everybody's like, oh, it's just allergies. It's just allergies. This virus is very prevalent right now. And I think a lot of people are carrying it and they don't realize they're carrying it. Well, and yeah. so it's, I, I'm, I'm not shocked, but I love the fact that you're on Paxlovid. It's a protease inhibitor. It's preventing the, the virus from replicating. So hopefully you don't last the one to two weeks that a lot of people do have with this and you get over it in a few days. So I think it's a good move that you're on the medication. I had the, uh, the, the booster, the second booster about a week and a half before the uh, conference. And um, some people have told me it takes over a week for the booster to take effect. Is there any truth to that from your knowledge? Yeah, it takes at least two weeks for the booster to kick in because <laughs> the mRNA has to be translated. The body has to make the spike proteins, and then your immune system has to relearn the spike proteins. <laughs> so getting a booster still probably gave you a boost, um, you know, within a week, but usually it takes a good couple of weeks because that's how long it takes the spike proteins to be made. But keep in mind, these were spike proteins of the wild-type virus from three years ago, not the Omicron so the you know the boost the boosted vaccine even though we're hoping it's keeping people out of the hospital it's it's i, I as i said before i'm worried about how obsolete it is in terms of you know it's like it's like getting a 3 year old flu shot we need up to date vaccines. And so if the spike proteins aren't on these omicron variants it's not going to help your body recognize it and fight it. That's Dr. Dahlia Wax, physician and radio talk show host heard daily across the nation on the Genesis Communications Network. And that about does it for this latest installment of the Michael Harrison Wrap, an overview of the national conversation, looking back at the week of Monday, June 13th through Friday, June 17th, 2022. Looking ahead, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about next week, including the ever-lurking unknown factor, that unanticipated surprise story that can take the national conversation spinning off in a totally unexpected direction. We sure do live in interesting times. I can be reached via email at michaelatalkers.com. My podcast, The Michael Harrison Interview, can be heard at mhinterview.com. And if you want to stay in touch with the inner workings of the talk media industry, please visit talkers.com. The Michael Harrison Wrap. Our producer is Matthew B. Harrison. Thank you for listening. The Michael Harrison Wrap is a production of Good Phone Communications presented in association with Talk Media Network and Talkers Magazine. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved.